Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crew, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, November 25th, 2013. On this day in history in 1952, Agatha Christie's play Mousetrap premiered in London. It went on to become the longest continuously running play in history. These are the mailmen. They deliver toy mail. Messages sent from our app to our toys. Now, how do you pronounce your name? I want to make sure this I get that right. Mom. My name is Gory. Well, welcome to DJ Grandpa's crib. Oh, thank you. You're out <laughs> in New York there. Eight million stories and yours is just one. So you're used to competition like Kickstarter is. Now, why don't you tell me about this toy mail thing? It seems pretty interesting, you know, the idea of it with the kid. What we're doing is, is creating a, a way for uh, family and friends of a child to send kids messages through their toys. It's similar to voicemail. You can just uh, take your phone. We have an app for the phone record a, a voice message and then send it to a toy and the toy will speak it back and you can choose to have it say your message back in a silly voice or your own voice. So it's kind of a fun way for little kids who don't have a, a phone and too young to even use a phone. So it's a fun way for kids to get messages and sort of stay connected to friends and family. But you did say that it could say it in your own voice as well as other type of voice, you know, silly voices or whatever. Yeah, and that's kind of the fun part. I mean, I think it is. You know, my friend and I, my co-founder, we've been testing these for a while now, and so we'll send each other crazy messages back and forth, and it's sort of like email's not very fun anymore, but, you know, this is kind of a new way to, to just kind of stay connected to people that you're really close to, uh, that you, you know, are sort of close enough to to get silly messages from. And uh, it's app-driven. Uh-huh. And the toys have Wi-Fi in them, so they're actually very easy to connect to your home network. And then anyone who knows a child who has one of these toys can connect to them through this uh, app. So you could possibly, like if there are presets or security codes, you could give it to another loved one or something or a grandparent or something, and they could also send the kid messages. A lot of grandparents have already reached out to us and said that they love the idea because, you know, of course, they don't live in the same house with their grandchildren. And so it's just a great additional way they can kind of uh, stay in touch. Can the kids send messages back with it or just receive? You know, when we were first creating this, we just thought of it going one way. But then we were like, well, actually, to kind of keep the dialogue going, we could, you know, put a button on the toy that the kids just, you know, press and then they can send a reply back. So the way it's designed is uh, when the, the child receives a new message, they could right away reply to that message. So how long has it taken in development for you to get this project together? We've taken about a year and a half. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of design iterations we had in the beginning, a lot of figuring out what these little toys should look like. And of course, there's, there's so many different directions we could have gone. And then we, I think we redesigned the app about three different times before we sort of got it to a place where we felt it was uh, simple enough for even a child, uh, you know, a child maybe five or six to use if, if they wanted to, if they had access to a phone. I like the design. It it is pretty cool. That that I guess that was one of the things that attracted it to me. Um, oh yeah, great. At first, I think, yeah. 
Oh, we love to hear that feedback. <laughs> yeah, because I, I wasn't so sure about the video at times. Oh, really? Only because it looked kind of too slick for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I was being manipulated up one side and down the other. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, this video just seems too slick for me. You know, it's funny because I actually find that the toys are like more fun than sometimes the video comes across. Because mm -hmm. uh, in real life, you know, when you're actually interacting with them and, you're, and you hear your voice filtered right. and you send these messages back and forth, I don't know, it, it conveys something different. And so it, that's, it's very difficult to sort of convey exactly uh, what this is through a video. I called you because of the toys and because of the time of year it is so close to Christmas and, and because of the, just a little... You know, the little stupid mailbox, you know, I was like, that's cool. I think we'd love to do a, a plush version eventually. I'm sure you saw that all of the mailboxes are shaped to have faces and features like animals. And so they'll, right. they'll make an alert sound in the sound of the animal. And so we're able to sort of create this idea of character, but maintain the look of traditional mail. You guys did your homework, man. That one year for you paid off. You studied well. <laughs> yeah. So we've got to get the Kickstarter uh, going. <laughs> yeah, okay. Look, maybe I won't compliment you too much. We'll have to see <laughs> how it goes. Uh, your partner, is she, is it also a she? Yeah, it's it's my best friend. Uh huh. I believe in the video it said this isn't your first product that you guys have tried to bring to market or something. This is our first product that we've done together. I have been doing product design for a while. My first product was called Clocky. It's the alarm clock that runs away from you. What's the idea again? This is an alarm clock that basically doesn't let you snooze and it forces you out of bed on time. So when the alarm sounds, it will actually jump from your nightstand and then uh, sort of roll around the room beeping until you come get it to, to turn it off. So that was something I made in college a while ago. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up because that sounds like something either out of a Jim, old Jim Carrey movie or something out of a horror movie because I could see me chasing the clock around the room trying to smash it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> clocky? Oh, my God. That's called clocky, uh-huh. You apparently have a knack for these things. I guess my interest is in, in trying to, to bring products to life. And, and, you know, the fact is that we have the technology now to do that. We don't only have to put technology into computers with screens. Wow. So what would I call you then? Um, an inventor, a scientist, entrepreneur, what? I guess an entrepreneur, a designer, inventor, <laughs> whatever you like, I guess. I went to uh, MIT, the, the Media Lab, which is a right. lab that you sort of study at the intersection of design and technology. So, you know, it is a very interdisciplinary background. So it's sort of hard to just to put it into one word, I suppose. Wow. So you're supposed to be one of those smart people, MIT and stuff, like they talk about <laughs> on television. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm very happy for you and your entrepreneurial endeavors and partnering with your best friend and all that. That's kind of like a dream, I guess. Sounds like it. Yeah, if it works out, it's definitely the dream. It's the dream we are going after. <laughs> uh, still cautionary. Okay, NYC, I get it. You get the cautionary tale, yes, if it works out. Well, I wish you the best on Kickstarter. And for anyone out there, check out Toy Mail. I believe it's all one word, Toy Mail. Toy Mail, yes. <laughs> all one word. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com 
and we'll provide links for Glory and her partner. Maybe we should mention her name since I left her out and I've been so rude. Her name is Audrey Hill. Tell her I said hello and thank you very much for coming on the show. Okay, thank you, DJ. <laughs> Up next, Reagan A. Young with his film, Barza. Welcome, dude. Hey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, man. How's it going for you? Not too bad. Yeah, why don't you tell me about this story, man? Marza, because the film, I watched it, but I didn't understand certain parts of it. The actual film is about a U.S. Marine who is very desensitized to the world and the people around him uh, due to his past. And when he's deployed for the, you know, whatever time that he's already been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan as an infantryman. He meets several young people, you know, starting with the girl Marza, and she kind of breaks him out of his shell. And so he gets to know Marza, who she calls her his bodyguard, basically, which is what she did with me to realize Marza would walk me around from one installation to the next in Kabul, Afghanistan, saying that she was my bodyguard. And, you know, through her, the Marine meet several other girls, which are her sisters. And I got to do this in real life as well. I met her sisters, Parag and Korshid. And one day on 8 September 2012, a suicide bomber attacks one of the installations called ISAF, International Security Assistance Forces, or Force. When this happens, uh, the two girls, Parag and Korshid, Martha's sisters, stop the bomber. He's also a kid. In doing so, they saved hundreds of troops' lives, American and coalition, which are the other nations. But in doing so, they sacrificed their own. Yeah, it's a sad story, man. Well, sad, real story. Exactly. It's a sad story. It's a real story, but it needs to be told. People need to see it. I want it to be, you know, eventually large scale. I want it to be a feature. But, you know, before it gets to that stage, we have to finish the short film. I already have the feature script written. But the only way that I'm going to be able to screen it, both in L.A., D.C., as well as submitting to the film festivals starting in January 2014 and going the entire year, is if I reach this Kickstarter. But without funds... No one is able to edit it. Your funds are basically for finishing the proof of concept. Yes. So finishing it, screening it on both coasts, and submitting it to festivals, including the big ones like Khan, Tribeca, Sundance, everything that, that it qualifies for. And that's not even my end goal. My end goal is to you know, not only spread the awareness sharing this film, but also the girl I was talking about, Marza, she currently... It's hopefully still alive and in Afghanistan. And I, what I wanted to do, you know, she's seven now. I wanted to go there, talk to her family and say, hey, I can provide a different and hopefully better lifestyle here. You know, getting her a real education, getting her off the streets of Kabul because she, you know, every day is on the streets where the bombing happened, selling scarves and bracelets, walking people around for $10, $20 a day. And I don't agree with that lifestyle for such a young kid. And she was the middle child. Now she's the oldest because her two sisters, Braun and Korshid, were killed in the bombing. So I want Martha to have a better life and to show a better life to her family as well as her two younger siblings. I got you. So this goes far beyond the film then. It does. But the Kickstarter is for the short film. Once the short film is complete, along with all the things that I said that I would do with the finishing funds. Right. The feature film would also start its process because no one wants to read the script until they see the short film because everyone knows that I have a short film that goes along with it. So the whole process, you know, that'll eventually get me to you know, hopefully one day be a guardian or assumed custody 
individual of Martha, you know, all that stems from completing this short film. Well, it's hard to ask you questions, man, because this has turned into a whole, um, this has turned into a whole custody case. I actually tried it last year when the incident happened. And, you know, it's, it's already very difficult for someone to adopt or assume custody. But on top of that, you know, when it's across the sea, you know, in Afghanistan, where not only it's another country and continent, but it's, they also have Sharia law. It would be a very difficult process, but one that I'm very willing to endure and see through to the end. So this has turned into a big love story, not just a survival story, not just just a martyr. I guess not a martyr story. I don't know how to say it, but turned into something different. To me, it's a hero story. The girls, not not me, the, the girls, what they did. Several people have actually said that it feels like a love story to them, not that kind of love story, but it has that sort of feel I don't know how to describe it exactly. It's It's been put into better words by other people that know about Martha, uh, yeah. both the real girl as well as the film. I do want to ask a question, and I don't know if it's insensitive or not. Not at all. How many lives do you think were saved that day? I've been saying hundreds because when this bombing happened, it was going to be at the main installation there. I was at Camp Eggers. Next to us was IFAF and the U.S. Embassy. And any one of those, if they were hit, and hit in the right way, hundreds of lives could have been lost. There's a chance that it could have been thousands. There's a chance it could have been zero. But right. in this case, six kids were killed, as well as the bomber. Who was the kid also. Exactly. Right. And the two that I knew were Piranha and Korshid. I don't know how we end this one, man. Do we just say this one's for Marza and for her sisters and for the people who gave their lives overseas? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's for Marza, yeah. Piranha and Korshid, and the other kids' lives lost. Look for the film on Kickstarter, Marza. That's M-A-R-Z-A, the film. And if you can't find it there, I'll have links for the film and for Reagan at djgrandpa.com. Dude, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. I can feel your passion. I can feel the... I can feel the emotional attachment to this one, man. So I wish you the best always. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Hi, my name is Ben Soto, and I am the writer and creator of The Clockmaker's Legacy. The Clockmaker's Legacy is a steampunk fantasy adventure series set in a unique universe rich with history. Out of Wisconsin, the story with an Oh yeah, Ben Soto. Did I pronounce your last name right, Soto? Yep, that's it. A clockwork orange. No, no, that's not it. <laughs> another project. Oh yes, you're right, another project. The Clockmaker's Legacy. Indeed. I love steampunk. Yeah, Wild Wild West, all of that stuff. Oh, you yeah. know, I saw one of the pictures in your book, and I felt as though I need an office that looks just like that. Oh, that'd be a great office to have, right? Yeah, that one with that giant window and the skulls on the library. All the books and everything. Yeah, the whole nine. Well, why don't you tell me about your graphic novel, man? Why don't we get down to business? Welcome to the crib. I hope everything's going well on Kickstarter. All right, so basically, Clockmaker's Legacy, steampunk fantasy adventure. Unlike other steampunk-type stories, this one takes place in a completely different reality. So it's its own world and its own universe. And in this universe, there was an event that happened a long time ago in its past. There was a battle, there was a great evil, is what they refer to, and five brilliant minds came together to create 
the evisceration apparatus, which was a machine that was able to stop this threat. But at the same time, the cost was a lot of the land was destroyed and uh, it changed the face of their world forever. Right. So the story starts off with Byron, who has that cool office, working at the Museum of Antiquities of the Lost Age. And he's researching and he's trying to uncover the truth of what really happened. And that's what gets everything going for this adventure. And from there, you have different groups interested in finding this old ancient weapon, wanting to use it for their own means. And it's it's very much just this, this grand epic quest to, you know, race against time to see who gets it first. It's my Indiana Jones, I guess you could say. Yeah. Just this kind of feel to it. They got the archaeological aspect of it going in there. You got the adventure and the comedy and the drama. A bunch of right. colorful characters, and they're just all playing in this universe that's just rich with history and full of life. It feels as though to sell any graphic novel, you just need to be inundated by great pictures. And oh, yeah. You have all of that. Are... You spoke about how great your graphic artist is. Would you like to give a shout-out to her, I guess? Yeah, Katie Gam is the illustrator that I'm working with on this, and she is amazing. I love her style. She has a very uh, whimsical style of artwork that really fits well for the genre and uh when we sat down and started talking about this she just knocked it out of the park with the the sketches and everything and then it just evolved from there and we both just really started working well together and um she's an amazing artist definitely look her up katie gam anybody else looking for an illustrator she's definitely worth it steampunk seems it seems optimistic to me good against evil but it seems like good has a strong chance of winning are you that type of person? I mean, are you optimistic, pessimistic, what? Hope is very strong, and that's a, that's a prevalent theme in the story as well with the characters, with Corbin Hunt, one of the main characters who's a descendant right. of the clockmaker. Very prevalent theme. Uh, hope allows us to, to believe in something greater than ourselves. And with that belief, you have the, the power to overcome so much suffering and adversity. That is a theme in a lot of the steampunk stories. You have that classic good versus evil dynamic. I think that does speak to a lot of people because no matter the genre or type of story, anybody can relate. Did you really explain to me what a clockmaker is? He was a tinker. He was a, a brilliant mind who was very good at, obviously, the clock pieces and the intricacies of creating the clock pieces, all the little tiny right. gears and everything. And for the machine, this evisceration apparatus that everybody's going after, the clock piece is kind of like the heart. It keeps everything ticking. And without this piece it doesn't work. So that's why uh, it's his legacy and why it's so sought after. One last question. Sure. What or who are you a big fan of? First name that pops into mind would probably be Frank Herbert, the author of Dune, the whole Dune series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the movie. If it wasn't for those stories, I don't think I'd have been interested in, in telling stories in the first place because the way he captured that universe and created those characters it really it woke something up in me and made me feel like you know something great about storytelling you know no i got you that that's cool man i just i just saw dune for the first time probably six months ago eight months ago and you know because i didn't want to watch it i was like dune dune whatever it can't be that great everybody's making it out to be actually you know trying to be trying to just be a jerk so i was like it can't be that great you know I'm a Trekkie. Nothing can compare. 
Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I'm a Trekkie too. Yeah, absolutely. But I watched Dune and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I mean, I, I couldn't take my eyes off it from the first scene to the end. And I was like, and this is the intricacies of it and the, just the development of a totally different alien world and how their their hierarchy and you know all oh, yeah. of that. So I was just like... Yeah, all those political machinations in there. Just, yeah. Just, amazing to watch it take place so if there's anyone out there who likes to check out a new world could i say inspired by dune <laughs> absolutely inspired by dune sure all right the clockmaker's legacy and so if you're a dune fan or a trekkie or sci-fi or a steampunk person you should check out this graphic novel on kickstarter the Clockmaker's Legacy. And if you can't find it there, if you get lost for any reason, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links. Ben, man, thank you very much for giving me the time to talk. And um, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Kickstarter first week, one of their pick of the weeks or something like that. Staff pick, that's it. That's what they call it, a staff pick. And you've been making money pretty quickly. Your minimum funding so fast. And now what do you do? Putting together the project, it was an initial challenge figuring out what do you want to do with the funds? And that's the beauty and kind of the curse of Kickstarter is that it's all or nothing. That's true. What I did when I approached this, that the main goal was to record the full-length album. And so I went and talked to my producer, Rick Riggs, and I told him, I go, Rick, if I want to record this album, how much money do I need? And he, you know, said, throughout the number, I was like, for this amount of money, we can do any album that you can imagine. We're not going to be looking at the clock. We're not going to be worrying about running out of time. But now, you know, there's always more that you can do. There's the promotion aspect, there's the branding aspect, there's hiring PR firms, there's investing more money in the website, there's investing money in equipment. So I unfortunately have a great support network that has been very active in the last week and sending out emails and communicating with people one-on-one -on -one and talking to them and say, this is great, this is the minimum, but if you believe in this and you wanna support this, there's a, many places that we still can go. It seems that people are okay with being in like, not being in love. Having a warm body in bed next to you seems to be enough. This doesn't work for me, I can't wait for it to come down the line. I can tell by looking at you whether or not I want you to be mine or oh, Do you believe that you brought your own fan base to Kickstarter or the Kickstarter community, somehow you struck a chord? I've been playing music a long time and the question has come up for years, when are you going to record an album? And so all of these people that I've met along the way, whether family members, people I grew up with, people I went to college with, people that I've met now in my professional life, 
when this finally launched, they were so excited to be part of the project. And for a lot of them, it was the first time they had ever experienced Kickstarter. And how cool that they thought it was. Not to say that there have been some very generous strangers from, you know, that have come along the way. And, I, you know, I see a name pop up. I'm like, I don't know that person. And then I look at their profile and either... Hold up. When their name popped, you didn't call them a stalker or anything, even though they, like, threw some money at you. You're like, that's a very generous stalker. No. <laughs> well, then everyone at the Kickstarter would just be a bunch of stalkers. <laughs> Uh, we're all voyeurs, you know, looking to see what other people are creating. You know, so far it really has been, I would say, a majority of people who have just supported me along the way and now are excited to have the project start. I hate to get it wrong, like what style of music are you? But I'm going to take a leap on this one. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> your style of music, I, I listened to it and I turned to my producer and I was like, uh, she sounds like Dawson's Creek to me. That's what she sounds like to me. Are you insulted by that? I mean, are you taken aback? Do you just want to tell me flat out that I'm wrong or something? No, I mean, I was always a Dawson's Creek fan, so part of me is saying thank you. I felt myself fall through the cracks It wasn't until I felt that everything was gone that I could face not looking back And when you're sleeping with a ghost Oh, everybody knows It hangs over your shoulder What does a Dawson's Creek artist sound like to you? To me, Dawson's Creek, the whole WB formula, you know, it's like something that ended too quickly. They were on the verge. They were like the alt pop. They were like hit makers, hit finders. And so I thought that you could be part of that whole type of crux, you know, okay. if you were on Dawson's Creek as a soundtrack type of artist. All right. I'm not exactly trying to describe the style of music, but I'm trying to describe how it makes you feel when you hear it. Okay. I got you. If that makes any sense. It does a little bit, but there's a few prongs there that you've hit. Basically, I think that I have songs that resonate with a certain demographic, usually females about my age, because those are the stories that they are all going through in their own lives. And so I always have a litmus test of my music. If I can get a few guys to say that's a catchy song or sing along to it or be bopping their heads or say I really like that part, that's when I know I've made a good song. And that's kind of what's been happening lately is that the music is resonating with people that are outside of my normal target demographic. What's the target demographic? Because you've danced around that twice. I would really say that it's young females in their early to late 20s figuring it out. And you said that you've been playing a long time. How long is a long time? I grew up singing national anthem at every sporting event I could get my hands on and started writing songs when I was about 12 and I started playing guitar when I was 13. I guess I want to say it's still cool to see a, a woman or it's still cool to see a person period actually play instruments like a guitar mm -hmm. or a piano. Yeah. It gets me every time. I don't know why. Because it's rare now. It is rare, right? It is. I'm not imagining things. No, you're not. And I love Top 40 music very much. I love dancing to it. But you know that it's manufactured in a certain way and there aren't real instruments. You know, I think a lot of what's going on now, you know, like dance music 
house music, right. all these DJ sets. Like, it's great. Like, I like it, but it's not, it isn't instrumental music. You know, no one's standing there playing a guitar and telling a story. Right. Or a personal story, I guess. Okay, you talk about this new expansive album. You can pretty much do whatever you want now because of this budget or whatever and publicists and, you know, <laughs> handlers and all of that. So, you think I need a handler? You tell me. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're the 20 something year old. You tell me. I don't know. I only think that people need handlers when they actually bring in home money for other people. As soon as I start funding my mom, then I'll need a handler, right? Right. <laughs> then the handler. You don't want the ego to get too big too fast. No, no. What is this album? What is it going to sound like? What is it inspired by? So the album's called Circle of It All, and it's about a period of a year of going from being absolutely heartbroken, devastated, blindsided, and the feelings that come out of that, and then working through it to meeting new people that don't necessarily fit in the right way either, that hurt you in a different way, whether they don't want what you want, and then finally getting to the end as a 25-year-old woman that I don't need to find necessarily happiness in someone else. And I think that the circle of it all, like the song that's playing in the video, which it was the final song that I wrote for the album, I wrote it in 26 minutes. I had just ended things with this guy I was dating, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm selling myself short, and I'm getting lost in these people. And it's this entire feeling of how a breakup goes. You're devastated, you're pissed, you figure it out, and then you're happy again, and it repairs itself. So it's all of those steps in between. So you have the um, really emotional songs of being like crushed to the more promiscuous songs of like learning about someone new and what that means. And then at the end, finding joy again in someone else in a better way. I never asked you how to describe your own music, though. You never answered that. I describe it as girl with guitar. You obviously haven't sat down with the marketing people yet. That's the question that when people say, well, what do you sound like? And I mean, on like a really high level, like where would I fit in a genre on iTunes? Or if you're going to do it that broad? I don't know, would it be pop? Would it be folk? I'm not sure it's either of those. Mmm, one of those. Uh, there, <laughs> yeah. Because there isn't enough of a pattern yet. Maybe, but I'm just seeing a pattern. When you go that far to, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not the other. It's a hybrid. I give you a hybrid, but you still got to choose a little something because it just makes it easier for everybody who wants to find you. That's all. I'm not okay. trying to pigeonhole you or anything, but I'm just saying if you're going to be out there and you you obviously want your album to succeed and sell music, yeah. if you don't give it a genre, everybody else is just going to stick it in a genre. And I should define the bucket. I shouldn't have someone else define it, right? It would be a little helpful. That's all. you know. Okay. But girl with guitar, that could be a shirt. Would you buy it? Yeah, man. Would you wear it if I gave it to you? Yeah, man. Girl with guitar, that's totally cool. All right. For anyone out there who likes this style of music, a girl with the guitar, go to kickstarter.com and check out Ariel Upton. That's A-R-I-E-L Upton. It's a first full-length album called Circle of It All. 
And if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com where we will have links for Ariel and her latest album. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Well, I appreciate you inviting me and talking to me. No one, no cry. Here, little darling, don't shed no tears. No woman, no cry. We look at boots the way beer enthusiasts looked at beer back in the 80s. You have two choices. You can go with one of the big corporate mammoths and get a mass-produced, mediocre product, or splurge for the fancy imported stuff, but pay a small fortune for it. That's why we founded Boston Boot. To make a boot for the average guy, Joe and Joe, but not might an average be a little way. hard to keep up with. Okay, We're he's big Joe, I'm little Joe. I don't believe that. I think it's the reverse. I think it's the reverse. <laughs> well, I'd like to welcome the Boston Boot Company to DJ Grandpa's crib. You guys are still fundraising actively, but you've had a great deal of success. Not ten times funding, but at least six times funding. So that's pretty cool, man. Did you guys believe that you'd kind of blow up like that? We were pleasantly surprised that so many people showed up to the party and so many people have supported us so far. So, Well, you guys have made me want a fresh pair of boots. I really like that video. It seemed to be all about we're small, but we think big. I know you guys are from Boston and all that, and you talked about the Boston classic style and all that, but it made me feel as though you guys were from Texas, like everything's bigger in Texas <laughs> type of video. <laughs> the stars shine bright. So could you explain for people who maybe, you know, they don't have your Kickstarter campaign page open, could you explain what type of boot you are showing on Kickstarter? Sure. Now, which Joe is this again? This is Joe Crew. Okay. We've got three boot styles or patterns. They're all basic four-inch chukka boots, which come up to the malleola or the ankle bone. We've got what we sort of consider to be our classic or our core style, which is a basic plain toe chukka. We have one that's a little bit edgier that is really more for, say, uh, city wear, our Newbury, which is a sort of a little bit of an adaptation of a wingtip. And our more country style, which is our Cambridge is a mock toe that's sort of like an old classic field boot. Okay. I'm liking that edgy style. The edgy style of the Newberry, it's one of those things that the more you look at it, the more it grows on you. And as we've gone out to consumers and friends and relatives and even focus group people, people seem to like it. People seem to gravitate towards it. It's becoming like our sleeper, so to speak. Well, when I watched your video, looking at your boots, listening to whoever was the voiceover talent and the way the copy and everything was written, it still goes back to a niche market, micro, not a micro brewery, because you did mention the breweries and how Boston had changed the history of breweries back in the day with that sort of style. But you, you were kind of equating it to you guys bringing that same sort of quality to Boots, and that was very cool. It wasn't like you guys were saying we're the new kid on the block so much you were talking about the experience team that you had to make this boot or these boots a reality and i thought all of that was totally cool thank you thank you 
we're making boots. We're trying to make the best boots that we can. There really are sort of two ends of the spectrum that you can go to when, when you're buying shoes. One is the big corporations, which uh, Joe Pru has, has worked uh, for over the years. You know, there's a lot of great product out there, but it's hard to know when you're getting value. And, you know, when you're working for a big company, it doesn't matter whether it's a shoe company or any other kind of company. For them, it's all about the volumes, cranking out more product, getting the numbers up. And when you really think about what people like Jim Cook did, you know, back in the 80s now, when, when he started up his own craft brewery, it wasn't as if he was reinventing beer. He was just saying, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit more time and pay a little bit more attention to the details and just make some good beer and put some really good ingredients in here and spend a little bit more time thinking about the process. Maybe I'll have to charge a little bit more, but it's going to be a good product that people will want to buy. And we're really looking to do the same thing with our boots. We want to make a good product that we're proud of. We're looking to use the best leather. We have a partnership with Horween Leather uh, in Chicago and work with a factory that Joe Pru has worked with for you know about 20 years to just develop sort of the craftsmanship and the, the sort of uh, attention, as I said, to detail. But we are making a good boot that that we are proud of and we think other people will like. It's it's really pretty simple, but you know I think people will appreciate that when they get our boots and when they see our boots. The other thing is, um, and I, I think Joe alluded to it a little bit, you know, when you're small, you tend to be more flexible. Right. And I have worked for some big brands over the years. And, you know, when you're in a big company and a big brand like that, you get so many people that are involved in your design, your development, your decision making, that it's almost like corporate red tape. You can get stuck. Sounds as though you have this expansive resume. Why take this sort of risk and go indie? Well, my partner over here, Mr. Lyons, actually talked me into it. You know, we've been friends and neighbors for a long time, and we always sit there and talk about different things and what businesses do things well and what don't. And he's been fascinated by footwear. And, you know, and uh, one day he said, hey, why don't we just start our own company and let's do it our way? And with a little bit of poking and prodding, I said, hey, why not? Actually, you guys are kind of the dream on Kickstarter because, you know, I mean, you may put your program up there and you may ask for, you know, Kickstarter says minimum funding, but everybody wants to push that play button and just see the numbers stack up really fast and more money than you asked for. You know, maybe you're greedy, maybe you're not. So how did that actually feel? Because you guys are, let's say you're the fluke, because only 40% of all crowdfunded projects make it in the first place. It felt really good. I mean, there's, there's a Joe Lyons, and, and there's no doubt about it. It, it. Those first few days when we got such a strong response, obviously, you talk to a lot of people on Kickstarter. I don't know if anybody really knows the, the true secret, but you got to put together a good product, a good video, good description. You have to have good rewards. And we priced our, our rewards and our boots very competitively. We're not making much of any money off of this. One of the things that we were really hoping for from Kickstarter was to get that validation, to find out whether, okay, here's something we really believe in. We think this is a great product, but will anybody else? So, yeah, it feels good not only because of the money, but I think even more so for us, it feels good because now we know that there are people out there that value what we're doing here. So we want to do more of it. And I think Kickstarter is really most stable in terms of identifying those sort of products and those sort of services. And 
other things that people offer on Kickstarter that other people really want. So the money's great. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's nice to have a little bit of money to help you, you know, along the way in terms of building your business. And it, it is critical in terms of, you know, somebody like us just wanting to get that first production run. But the really great thing, I think, is, is the response from the people, not the money. This is Joe Crew again. Joe is 100% right. The fact that we've done well on Kickstarter gives us a feeling that we've got validation of our product. People seem to be gravitating towards the boots. The other big plus about Kickstarter for us, uh, you know, again, aside from, the, aside from the money, is the feedback. I say a lot of times that Kickstarter is, to me, it's incredible for its comment section alone. Because people, I mean, they give you all sorts of ideas, support. What have they been saying to you? I'll give you an example. Right. Uh, we had planned to only go up to size 13 on our size run. Uh, we got so many requests from consumers who have big feet to go to a size 14 that we on the fly decided to add size 14 to the line. That's just an example of listening to the consumer feedback and adjusting our business plan or our business model to accommodate people. Now, before I go, I don't want to do you or anyone else an injustice, so is there anything that I didn't give you the chance to say that maybe I left out or I didn't ask that you got to get in there? <laughs> no, I think, you know, uh, uh, we're really grateful to Kickstarter for, for helping us out, for giving us the opportunity, and we're really grateful to, to you for spending the time to, to hear our story today. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate that you guys gave me the chance to talk, man. So a lot of times, once projects bridge $100,000, they're kind of done with talking a lot of times. <laughs> oh, we're just starting. Uh, I'm not we can talk all day about our, our project and our boots. So. And for anyone out there, if you're interested in some pretty cool, some classic, they even have rugged styles of boots, check them out on Kickstarter. It's the Boston Boot Company. And if you can't find them there... Go to djgrandpa.com where we'll post links for these two gentlemen and their company, uh, Joe and Joe. Top dog, underdog, I don't know which one. I'd like to thank you guys very much for coming on the show. Thank you, DJ. All right. Thank you, sir. Hi. My name's Moldover. I make music. make musical instruments. Hey, how's it going? How's it going, dude? Going well. I'm working on a new album called Four Track that I'm really excited about. Now it's everyone else. But let me rewind and begin by telling you the story behind the album. Anyway, the story's never about me, Moldova. The story is always about you, man. So why don't you tell me about this fantastic voyage of yours on Kickstarter, man? I don't know if I deserve it, but I'm just trying to gather as much money as I can to make the album that I've always dreamed of making. You know, in this era, like, the recording industry isn't really much of an industry where artists like myself is coming from. And, you know, I grew up on recorded music. That's huge, huge influence on what I do. And it's not sort of the core of what I do. I build instruments and play a lot of live shows and I do you know workshops and videos and other things to support right. that but I love recordings and I want to make an amazing recording and I want to hire professional sound engineers and use professional equipment and I think Kickstarter is a great avenue to do that so I'm basically 
calling out to all the people who've been paying attention to what I do and enjoying my work for a long time now and being like, yeah. hey, why don't you throw down? Like, <laughs> it's not easy to do this without funding. Right, but most music projects on Kickstarter don't even make over 10 Gs, man, and you surpassed that and you made your minimum funding. Now, that's not to suppress the vote now. I always have to make that clear. He's still accepting more money. <laughs> we'll take money. <laughs> and I'm very impressed by anyone who can create a musical instrument. So that you do these electronic instruments, these gizmos, you're like this tech kid or whatever. Dude, that's very impressive to me, man. I wish I could do something like that. Well, you can. It's not that hard. That is, I, I studied music long and hard, and I, I played in bands, and I DJed, and I did solo performance. I've done all these things, but instrument building is kind of the newest part of that. So, right. But I'm really passionate about it. There's not that many people that do it. That's often what leads me on my path is just not sort of like seeing where the crowd's at and trying to stand out in the crowd, but looking where the crowd is not hanging out but it's still interesting and checking right. that out. And so that's how I think I came to the, the instrument thing. And, and you know, I've gotten good at it. This is the second album I've done with a, an instrument as the packaging. And that's part of why my first album did so well. So I was counting on it to, you know, be part of the success of this album. And so far that seems to have worked. It seems as though you modify instruments. You just don't build them from scratch. Like it might be a guitar, it might be something else. And you add more electronic gizmos to it. The instruments I build from scratch are electronic. They're either controllers that you hook up to a computer, you know, and control some right. so music software with, or they're these really simple things like the voice crusher that's packaged with my new album. I, you know, I don't have a super extensive background in traditional instrument design, but I play guitar. So what I did is I took what I know how to do, which is make these electronic gizmos and build one into a guitar in a way that nobody's done before. So I didn't try to like reinvent the guitar. I just wanted to augment it, you know, basically. You know, the same as adding a tube amplifier back in the day or like all the things I've been doing pedals for like the last 20 years. Like this right. is just like, hey, stick some sensors on the guitar, put a joystick on there, you know, program that to do something musically interesting and you've got basically a new instrument. What is your dream? Simple question. My dream for the longest time has just been to do my own thing and to make a living at it. And that's that's been reality for the last few years. And there's always pieces of it that I like more than others. And um, most recently it's been like performing and writing songs. And that's basically what I'm trying to do more of and get honestly get paid to do more of that. Right. So that's kind of what this album is about. Like it's based on songwriting. You know, I've done like experimental electronic music. I've done sample based stuff you know, more in the DJ realm. And this is kind of just like writing stuff for my heart, basically. Well, then what are you passionate about then? Maybe that's the same question, but I'm trying to get a different answer. Different answer? If you don't have one, that's okay. Just, just making music and inspiring people. That's the big one is like giving back the inspiration that I've been given. Um, I feel like I've lived a, a really fortunate life, had a lot of great opportunities. It hasn't been like, you know, a walk down candy lane or whatever but <laughs> yeah. i consider myself very fortunate and it's all through the, the good graces of other human beings who've been generous enough to help, like, help me out and then the artistic inspiration i mean i think that's huge there's so much of human experience that's inexpressible in like basic language and, and the stuff we do every day and that's why we have the arts my current album is pretty serious so we should at least talk about that you do have some very inspirational 
leads for this album, the death you said of your sister, and that's a big one, dude. I don't even know if you want to talk about it. That's a big one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm cool talking about it. I made a video that 10,000 people watched, yeah. so you know, I must be comfortable with it on some level. The music I wrote when I was a kid was inspired by basically like depression and loss. You know, my right. parents got divorced when I was about 10, and I had this like this image of you know an idyllic nuclear family that seemed to work really well up until that age and then it was just like everybody took off and I felt like super alone and I became this really introverted shy kid and I think that's where the inspiration for a lot of my music came from was trying to like right. grapple with that and express that so you know having this like second intense experience of loss in my life you know this is the second major one basically just destroyed my world and I had to kind of like put it back together and it very much put me in a similar place to where I was when I was a 10 year old kid and my family kind of exploded so that's why the music kind of harkens back to what I was doing then like simple songwriting right and that was the music that reached me was like personal songs you know songs written by the person singing them about that person's life as just a direct expression of all the you know the most difficult things to express and that end of the spectrum I don't want to say I understand because that seems like that might be insensitive but I mean, I'm a jerk a lot of times on the program, but I can't be a jerk about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're being a jerk. It's good for me to learn how to deal with this stuff. Yeah. It's definitely weird to talk about it publicly, you know? Like, it's not right. something I wear on my sleeve, but it's just been such a major influence on my life in the last couple of years. Right. And the thing I learned is that it's just a universal experience, you know, loss. It just can't be cool. Can't be cool. I mean, to lose your sister, it just can't be cool. It oh, no, it's not cool at all. No. See, I told you I was going to say something inappropriate, man. I, I was sorry, man. I was trying I to be quiet. It's not cool. They're like, you're not, it's not cool, man. Do a Kickstarter and talk about your No, sister. no, no, no. That's your business. That's your business. <laughs> I always say DJ Grandpa is the world's biggest music fan, bar none. But go to kickstarter.com and type in mold over. That's one word, M-O-L-D-O-V-E-R. And if you can't find it there, we'll have the freshest links for this gentleman and, and all of his crazy inventions and all of his very personal music at djgrandpa.com. Thank you very much for giving me the time and to talk to you, man, to get to see a slice of your life, man. It's pretty cool. Thank you, DJ Grandpa. It's been an honor. strange thing happened to me this week. I was on a train in Denmark when a young man accosted me and started rambling on about his game, Pirates of New Horizons. Okay, everybody knows DJ Grandpa's favorite part of the show is the elevator pitch, but this week I'm not doing it again. I'm doing Stranger on the Train. It's my new segment, which is much like the elevator pitch. And Basically, the scenario is, do you know what an elevator pitch is, Michael? I do indeed. Now, what are the trains like in Denmark? Yeah, the trains are usually pretty crowded. Okay, so we're on a train in Denmark. I'm a visitor in your country, and I'm bragging about how I'm this Kickstarter guru, and I'm, I make things happen. And I'm sitting down with a friend, a buddy of mine, who invited me over to Denmark. And, you know, I'm playing around with my smartphone, I'm bragging, pushing buttons, laughing. 
all these people from Denmark, you know, is crowded on the train, so they all in the way. And next thing you know, he gets out of his seat and he gets off the train. Now I'm there by myself, and for some reasons, for some crazy starstruck reason that you have a Kickstarter project, but you've heard everything I've just bragged about. So now you have to do whatever you have to do to get in that seat before the next stop. You gotta convince me, sell me on your project. So what makes your project special? Well, pirate chicks, jetpacks, grappling hooks, Nintendo 64 spirit. That's all the things we have going for us in the Pirates and New Horizons game that's currently on Kickstarter. Yeah. It's an action platformer and it's a jump and run at the same time. So we are paying homage to some of the platforming elements of Mario, the humor of Monkey Island, combat from God of War, and you combine this with the art and the entire feeling from Zelda. This is the game for anyone who ever wanted to be a sky pirate. I'm trying to figure out what makes you original, what makes you stand out. We are targeting uh, smartphones and tablets. There's plenty of 2D platforms, but these true like Nintendo classic uh, styled 3D platformers, our game is totally unique in that regard. Have you tested this game? I mean, does it actually work? Do I have to wait two years to get it or something? Is it going to cost me a bundle or a fortune or what? Already back in 2010, we released the first public prototype and people loved it and the press loved it. So there's lots of people who are saying that it's fun. So don't just take my word for it. We released another public preview version again in 2012. Which again, we released some like amazing feedback on. And you can jump onto our website, piratesofnewhorizons.com. And then you can actually play the free preview version of the game directly in your browser. So you won't have to pay for anything, but you don't get to try first. You guys know what you're doing. You've done this before. This is not like your first, you know, adventure in the gaming land and all of that. Several of us has um, experience from the AAA studios, such as uh, Nintendo, actually, and Crytek. We have a guy from Blizzard on the team also. So we have some really strong people with lots and lots of experience in game development and lots of titles under our belt. This is my stop coming up, man, and, and I have to go, man. So it was okay, nice yeah. talking to you. When I get back to the office, I'll try out your game, and then I, I'll talk to the people, man, the Kickstarter people, community. But you, you don't have that long left, I guess. You only got a few days left, so. Yeah, we got about a week left. All right, it's nice talking to you, man. Yeah, likewise, enjoy your day. You too. If you sold on Michael's project, like I am, check it out on Kickstarter. And now, some exciting news from the desk of DJ Grandpa. We'll hit play on our very own Kickstarter this week. DJ Grandpa, season two. Stay tuned. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. 
And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. Thank you.